At Cool Air Products, we developed AC Smart Seal Quick Shot with professionals in mind. It's the only product on the market that's three in one, with sealant, lubricant, and UV dye all in a single application. It's non toxic, non flammable, 100% safe to the touch, eco friendly, and compatible with all refrigerants. It's a safe solution option, backed by years of R&D, Intertech tested, and has sealed millions of leaks. AC Smart Seal, the professional's choice. Since we're on the topic of TX valves lately on social media and how I'm forcefully trying to get rid of that joke. I mean, it was funny for a while, I'll admit that. But now it's unoriginal and it's just stale. And we need to move on from it. But it's a good time to bring up the fact that I think too many techs change thermal expansion valves without a proper reason to do it. They're just guessing. So on this podcast, I'm going to go over a thermal expansion valve from start to finish so we can educate ourselves on how these valves actually work and how we can troubleshoot them and how we can avoid changing so many of them. And I think that's how that joke came up, to be honest with you. It's the TXV. Well, that's because so many guys change the valve when they have issues with the system, when it could be a charge issue. And and if you think about it, if it is a charge issue, let's say short of gas, but they diagnose a TXV, well, guess what? When they pull the charge out, change the TX valve, and they put new gas in, and they and they, they, they go through their superheat and subcooling charts or weigh it in if it's a package unit, they're going to get the charge right. They're going to be, man, I fixed it. But they just corrected the charge. So that is something that we need to look at as an industry is, is avoid changing all of these valves that don't need to be changed. Now, I know when you're going through the learning process as an apprentice, um, sometimes shit happens. Hey, I went through it not too long ago with an electronic expansion valve. Um, but listen, that was that was a learning curve for me. That wasn't a mechanical valve. That was a valve that was controlled by a, an Emerson controller that was hooked up to a computer. I had no um, I had no references to read up on really on how to troubleshoot this thing. So we ended up changing a valve that maybe didn't need to be changed. It's hard to say. Uh, but listen, the TXV is what we're going to concentrate on on this podcast. We're going to go through it from start to finish. Pay attention. ZHVAC Know It All Podcast. I'm your host, Gary McCready. So as usual, we're going to talk about uh, some sponsored tools here. And um, I try to keep the tools different as I talk. And, and if, if I'm repeating myself on these tools, then yeah, somebody, somebody tell me. Somebody, uh, somebody give me the gears about it. So anyway, Testo 440 is like a little handheld device that you can link different probes to. It's like an air quality, um, an air, air velocity uh, type tool so you can check airflow and air quality. So I got a probe in my hand right now. It's the Testo 323. This is an air quality probe. Now when you, when you turn them on, it connects wirelessly to the 440 and we can check temp, we can check humidity and we can check CO2. Now CO2 is a big one guys because CO2 outside is around 400 parts per million. All right, 
inside a building in my home with my HRV running, I'm roughly between 750 and 850 parts per million. Okay, if you go into a building and do a free assessment on air quality and you find the CO2 is high, and high CO2 would be around 1100, in my opinion, that's when people start feeling groggy, getting headaches, and feeling tired. If you go in and perform a, uh, a free air quality assessment and you bring forward to them that their CO2 is high in the building, that can generate work for you. Now, how do we get rid of CO2? We get rid of it by introducing fresh air into the building. Rooftops do this with economizers all the time. All right, so that is the Testo 440 along with the air quality probe, which is the Testo 323. As far as uh, recovery units go, guys, the Yellow Jacket LTE recovery unit, it's a badass little unit. It's fallen off the shelf of my truck, going over speed bumps and the highway several times. I actually got to fix the shelf, but the thing is still intact. It's lightweight, it's fast. I've pounded liquid to it several times. It takes the liquid, no problem. So if you're in the market for a recovery unit, I suggest the YJ LTE. Fits in your truck nicely, it's compact, lightweight. Um, refrigeration technologies, there's something that I use of theirs in, in a lot of cases um, when I'm changing like a condenser fan with a plug. A lot of the condenser fans I change, you guys may have seen a lot of them out there. Instead of hardwiring them in or moretting them in or using um, connectors, they have these little plugs, you plug them in. Now what I do is I coat that plug with refrigeration technology, silicone grease. That silicone grease, you basically put it around the plug and you wipe it clean, but that silicone grease creates a layer between the internal part of the plug and the external, so we avoid getting water inside, moisture. I don't know how many fans have failed because moisture gets inside and they short out. So putting that silicone grease around that plug really, really helps, and I've done it several times, and it's a good, it's a good way to prevent failures in the future. Um, Armstrong, I heard the other day that somebody put in some, uh, some pumps, quite a lot of them, and got $500 back from Amazon, their Amazon gift cards. So Armstrong has this contest where you submit a pump, okay, you go to Armstrong Fluid Technology forward slash HVAC know-it-all, you submit your pump, okay, there's a, a little form there, and once that, that pump is verified, it's unique, you get a $20 Amazon gift card. So you guys check that out. Somebody submitted quite a lot of pumps to get that $500 um, in gift cards. So Field Pulse, guys. Field Pulse, you guys got to follow them on Facebook and Instagram because their memes are hilarious and they're so relatable to the trades and it's so down to earth. They have really, really funny memes. So you guys give them a follow and that's just secondary to what they do. They provide paperless billing, quoting, um, fleet management, CRM, and they have a 14-day free trial for you guys to check out. Okay, and I suggest you do at fieldpulse.com forward slash HVAC know-it-all. True Tech Tools, guys, as always, save 8% on your purchase at True Tech Tools with the promo code know-it-all, K-N-O-W-I-T-A-L-L. -L. If you guys are in the market for Testo stuff at True Tech, well, you got to sign up for preferred Testo pricing. It's easy to do. You go to my website, hvacknowitall.com. You scroll down to the homepage. You scroll down the homepage to the True Tech Tools logo. 
and you sign up there and just tell them HVAC Know-It-All sent you and boom, when you sign into your True Tech Tools account, you see preferred Testo pricing. I guess it was back in the early 2000s that the industry decided to step up its game and move to the 13-seer unit. Okay, 13-seer was to be um, an increase in efficiency across the board. Most of you guys remember this happening. And when it happened, manufacturers started using a TXV in their machines to help facilitate uh, with this increased efficiency. Now, what is a TXV? Well, it's an abbreviation for thermal expansion valve. Okay, it's, uh, it's a purely mechanically operated valve. There's no power required, there's no voltage, there's no amperage to be worried about at all. Purely mechanical. So the valve itself is basically constructed of a brass body with an inlet and an outlet for refrigerant flow. If it has a third port on it, that third port will be for an externally equalized line um, that measures evaporator pressure. Inside that valve body, we have a superheat spring. We also have an orifice. We have a pin, commonly called a push pin. On top of the brass body, we have a power head assembly, which basically is a diaphragm and a sensing bulb, which is charged with refrigerant and is mounted to the suction line. That sensing bulb's job is to measure the heat of the suction line. Measure the temperature of it, okay? Now, what is the purpose of a TXV? Its purpose is to separate the high and the low side and to meter refrigerant flow between the two sides. So let's start in the condenser. We have a high-pressure gas entering the condenser. We start to condense that gas. We hit saturation. We subcool the liquid moving through the condenser. The subcooled liquid gets to the TXV, okay? When it hits the TXV, we flash into the evaporator. What does that mean? Well, 75% liquid, 25% vapor is the rule of thumb. So basically, as that subcooled liquid hits that metering device, we flash into the evaporator. So instantaneously, we're going to have some of that liquid evaporate, 25% of it as a rule of thumb. So once we're in the evaporator and we're at 75% liquid, 25% vapor, that mixture moves through the evaporator. Okay, the evaporator absorbs heat from the medium being cooled, could be water, air, glycol. As it absorbs heat, that liquid starts to evaporate into a gas. We hit the saturation point again. Any further heat absorption from the, the medium being cooled will result in superheat. And we need that superheated gas going back to the compressor so we don't cause any damage. So that is the TXV's purpose, is to separate the two sides and to meter refrigerant from the high to the low side of the system. So let's get into how the valve works and how we can troubleshoot the valve. I'm doing this segment from the roof, guys. It's um, kind of drizzly but uh, a little bit of water never killed anybody, right? Uh, I'm really busy right now doing heating startups and, and whatnot, but it's actually not a bad fall day to be on the roof. It's about 50-ish degrees, so not too bad. Um, getting back to TX valves, though, we need to talk about how they, how they function. 
and how they operate. But before we do that, we need to know the three types of superheat that's applied to the, uh, the TX valve. All right, so I bet you most of you didn't know there's three types of superheat, and I'm gonna go through them with you right now. I'm actually on the parker.com website, and I'm gonna read them off to you and just kind of explain each one. So the first type of superheat is static superheat. That is the amount of superheat necessary to overcome the superheat spring force bias in a closed position. Any additional superheat force would open the valve. So basically, we need to get a certain amount of superheat to engage that superheat spring. Okay, our static superheat is not going to open is not going to open the valve up whatsoever. My phone was just ringing there, but I just uh, turned it off so I can finish this for you guys. <laughs> uh, never ends. Anyway, so basically, the static superheat is only to engage the spring. That's it. We haven't opened the valve yet. So the second type of superheat, you guessed it, is opening superheat. The amount of superheat necessary to open the valve at its rated capacity. So now that we've got the static, okay, any additional superheat past that is going to start to open that valve up, and that is your opening superheat. Very, very simple. So the third type of superheat is your operating superheat. The superheat at which valve, the valve operates at normal running conditions or normal capacity. The operating superheat is the sum of the static and opening superheat. So basically just what it said. We get, we get our static superheat, we get our opening superheat, we add them together. That is our operating superheat for that valve. Now a lot of valves come preset from the manufacturer and we can't adjust them. We just got to live with that. I prefer the type that you can adjust with the valve stem on the bottom. Now let's talk about that valve stem for a minute. If you're looking at that valve stem and you turn that valve stem clockwise, you're going to increase the spring pressure. You increase the spring pressure, you're going to increase the static superheat. Plain and simple. Well, yeah, you have that valve sitting in your hand. Let's talk about increasing the spring pressure on refrigeration valves for one sec. Whatever that valve is meant to do, okay, whatever its job is, so TXV, its job is to maintain superheat. You increase the spring tension, you increase the superheat. Hot gas bypass valve, for example, its job is to provide hot gas bypass to the evaporator in a low load condition. You increase the spring tension on it, you increase the superheat, or you increase the hot gas bypass to the evaporator. Sorry, my bad. So, in refrigeration, just remember that. When you increase the spring tension on a valve, you're increasing what that valve is meant to do. Okay? So back to the TXV. So we increase the spring tension, we're increasing superheat, and we're decreasing flow through that valve. We turn that stem counterclockwise, guess what? We decrease superheat and we increase flow through the valve. That's the way it's meant to work. So as far as the valve operation, well, how does the valve operate? We have three forces on that valve. We have two closing forces. The superheat spring and the evaporator pressure are the two closing forces on that valve. So when we increase the spring uh, tension, we start to close that valve. We increase the evaporator pressure, either externally equalized or internally equalized, we're gonna start to close that valve. The only grace we have to open that thing up is our sensing bulb. Our sensing bulb sits on the suction line. Okay, when that suction line is warm, or war relatively warm, I should say, we're gonna increase 
the pressure in that sensing bulb because there's a refrigerant there. When refrigerant warms, the, the pressure increases. We're going to expand the gas. It's going to move through the capillary line onto the power head. The diaphragm in the power head is going to expand and push down on the push pin. When the push pin is pushed down, the orifice and the valve will open. When the orifice and the valve opens, we're going to provide flow. All right? In the opposite direction. When that suction line is relatively cool, the gas will not expand as much, okay? There won't be as much pressure on the diaphragm, on the power head, and the, the push pin will lift up, closing down the valve a bit, okay? And that's how we control flow through the valve. So three, three forces, two closing, the spring, and the evaporator pressure, your closing forces, and one opening, the sensing bulb. Now some guys take that sensing bulb and hold it in their hand. Well, why is that? Because when you hold that sensing bulb in your hand, you get it nice and warm. Okay, the palm of your hand should be around 93 degrees on a normal, healthy person. So a 93 degree bulb, we're gonna expand that refrigerant, okay? And it's gonna, we're gonna try to trick that valve into opening. That's the troubleshooting method that some guys use out in the field. Doesn't always work because we could lose the charge in that, that bulb if we lose the charge in the bulb, then that trick's not going to work. But essentially, guys, we have three types of superheat. We have three forces. So you got to know those if you want to know how the valve operates. In my mind, there's only three ways a TX valve can fail. Now, one being fully open one being partially restricted, or one being slammed shut. Now, it's not often you're going to see a TX valve that's, that's failed open. I've seen it, I think, one time in my whole career, and it was quite a while ago, actually, and I don't remember all the specifics, but I'll tell you what I remember. I went to the call. It was a walk-in box. It wasn't cooling properly, hooked up my gauges, and the compression ratio was very low. We didn't have that restriction, that, that metering device, the TXV restricting flow. So the compression ratio was low. Superheat and subcooling. Well, what are we doing when we don't have the restriction there that the TX valve provides? We are going to flood the evaporator full of liquid. When you flood the evaporator full of liquid, what's going to happen? Well, the, cool, the, the medium that we're trying to cool, we're not going to be able to absorb enough heat from that medium to evaporate the refrigerant. We can't evaporate the refrigerant. The refrigerant, we're not going to get any superheat. We get no superheat, we're going to flood the compressor with liquid and, and we could potentially kill it. Now on, on the other side of that, we have liquid moving too fast through the TX valve. It doesn't have a chance to stack up and be cooled the way it should, all right? So we're not going to get that subcooling that we want. So on, a, on an open TX valve that's failed open, we're going to see zero to very minimal subcooling, and we're going to see very zero to very minimal superheat. And it's dangerous because we could flood that compressor with liquid. All right, partially restricted. Well, partially restricted 
is um, is kind of different than a slam or a wide open valve. If we have a partially restricted valve, we're not going to get enough gas, enough liquid into the evaporator. We talked about the flash gas of 75% liquid, um, 25% vapor. So what if we partially restricted that valve? What if our flash gas changed to, say, 50% liquid and 50% vapor? Well, if it's only 50% liquid, it's a potential that we're going to absorb the heat out of that liquid too fast. Right? Maybe 40% way through the evaporator. I'm just guessing at this point, but... um, it all comes full circle. And if we absorb that heat too fast, then we're going to get the, the additional heat added, and then we're going to get additional superheat. We get additional superheat and no flow back to the compressor or minimal flow back to the compressor. We're going to overheat the compressor, and our discharge line is going to be very, very hot because we, we've um, got lots of superheat, and we don't have that refrigerant moving back to the compressor to cool it the way it should be. Now, in the condenser, what's going to happen? Well, because we haven't absorbed heat the way we should be from the evaporator, we're not going to be rejecting heat at the condenser the way we should. So your condenser split is going to be much lower. You're not going to have that high condenser split because your condensing temperature is going to be lower because we're not rejecting Um, the heat because we haven't absorbed the heat. So if that valve is restricted as well, we're going to be start, we're going to be stacking liquid in the condenser. We stack liquid in the condenser, we're going to get subcooling. And most of the time I've seen it where the subcooling is high on a restricted TX valve. Subcooling's high. Some people have reported normal subcooling. So we can presume that they're correct there. But the way I've seen it and the way I view it is that if we have a restricted TX valve, we're going to stack liquid more than we should. It's going to be overcooled in the condenser and we're going to have excessive subcooling. As far as a slammed shut TXV, well, that's going to result probably in a pump down, right? Just like a solenoid pumping down when it closes, we pump down. Now that could result in in a low pressure switch cycling. Okay, it's going to result in crazy amounts of subcooling. It's going to result in crazy amounts of superheat. You're going to have, your compressor's going to be hot. You're going to have a hot discharge line. And again, you're going to have that low condenser split because we have no heat to reject because we haven't absorbed any heat. Funny story, I was I was on a call a couple of weeks ago and um, the unit was going off on hi-hat instantly, like three, four seconds, hi-hat. So I put my Testo 557s on, which has a sight glass on the manifold, right? So I equalized the high side to the low side. And when I did that, I noticed the discharge line was filled with liquid. Now, how is that possible? 
once I got the system running, what happened was the filter dryer was plugged, like plugged solid. So the system started to pump down. Now, this system is not a pump-down system. It's not designed for a pump-down. It's got a receiver in it, but when it started to pump down, the receiver and condenser, I'm telling you right now, was not big enough to hold the charge. So what, what was happening is the charge, the liquid was backing up into the discharge line. So that wasn't a TX valve. It was a filter dryer, but the, the symptoms are going to be the same for a slam-shut TX valve got to watch that. If the system is meant for pump down, the condenser and the receiver should be big enough to hold that charge. But this one wasn't. So we had that liquid backing up. So guys, on a slam shut TXV, you're going to have like zero or you're going to have um, a crazy amount of superheat, crazy amounts of subcooling. Okay. Hot compressor, hot discharge line. Your condenser split's going to be low. You could have... Um, you could have the unit cycling on low pressure. Very, very possible, depending how that low pressure switch is set up. Now, what's one of the ways that a valve can can become slammed shut? Well, if we have an internal failure in the valve, if we lose the bulb charge, the power head has has a, a sensing bulb attached to it. That is charged with refrigerant. Okay, a lot of times that charge, if you have a rub out, we can start losing gas. Now, if we lose gas in that refrigerant, we have no pressure. We have no pressure in that bulb to force that diaphragm to move the push pin to open the orifice. So if that push pin can't open the orifice, guess what? We have a slam shut valve. So you guys, I know some of you guys like to take that bulb off and you like to hold it in your hand to get it warm and see what happens. Now you can do that as, as a troubleshooting technique, but I'm going to tell you right now, if that bulb's lost its charge, most likely you're going to have a valve that is going to potentially slam shut. So that pretty much sums up the thermal expansion valve. Now one thing I should tell you in closing is that a system that is short of gas could look similar, okay, to a restricted metering device or TX valve could look similar. The one thing you got to look for is that, like we stated, we're going to have a higher than normal subcooling when we have uh, restricted flow or no flow through the thermal expansion valve. On a system that's short of gas, guess what? That subcooling is going to be lower, not higher. So those are the two distinctions you got to look for when you're diagnosing a thermal expansion valve. Too many of these valves get changed, in my opinion, for no good reason. And you guys got to remember that it's not always the TXV. You guys have an awesome day. Happy HVACing.